I thought I was lost, but then I realized I was on an adventure finding myself. Before I get into this episode, I wanted to give you an update on Meredith Consulting. I'm going to let you in on something. Coaching right now is a secret weapon. It's a great time to position yourself to move forward and to find the joy in the journey. 2020 does not need to be a total wash. My current offerings include one-on-one coaching to help you work specifically on what you want to work on. Additionally, I've created some programs that might help you out. I have the Life Audit program, which is based off of the Finding Myself podcast, Episode 2. I've also created the SIGIT Goal Setting Method to help you look at goals, identify those goals, and crush those goals. I've also developed the Uncovering Your Passions. This is something that I've talked about on the podcast many times, and I've developed a program to help you identify those passions and really clarify what they are. Recently, I've created a program called Identifying and Overcoming an Obstacle. Too many times we let obstacles stop us dead in our tracks, but when we identify them, we can figure out strategies to overcome them. Please check out my website at meredithsiget.com for more information and also, more importantly, those monthly specials. You can also find more information in the show notes today. Welcome back to the Finding Myself podcast. I am Meredith Siget, the host of this podcast. I got to tell you guys, I have got a great one today. This is a episode that has been in the making and I've been so excited to share it with all of you. I have a special guest today, someone that I have been following on Instagram for a bit now I got to tell you, I'm fanboying a little here. So I have Jen Hurst here. Hey, Jen, how are you doing? Hey, I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I got to tell you, Janet, it's really weird and awesome to kind of talk to you. You, I've watched you in your Instagram videos and your posts. So I kind of am like, you're a celebrity in my eyes. (laughs) You know, in that way, you say that, I'm like, oh, I'm just a Minnesotan mom doing my thing, sharing my story. Which I am so happy for. I really enjoy your post because we do have a few things in common. One, we're, we're moms, so I love seeing your family and what you do with your kids. But I also know you're a little Target obsessed, and so am I. Yes. <laughs> love Target. So I, It is my therapy. So I went there yesterday because I am home alone, uh, which I don't get much. And so I go to Target for therapy because it just makes me feel good. Oh, yes. I always check out your Target posts because I'm wondering, what do you have in Minnesota that we don't or what's a good deal? So I'm always checking what you got in your cart. (sighs) It's crazy. You know, you can go to Target for one thing and then Honestly, what happens is I will get a million other things and then forget the one thing that I went to Target for. Yes. <laughs> I, like, I got like all this like big, a big cowboy hat and like all this other stuff, but I forgot like paper towels. Like, <laughs> dang it. So then I got, oh, shoot, I got to go to Target again. Oh, 
darn not go the to bad t- thing i know right oh sorry honey i gotta go to target again oh so are you one of the families that you could go to target like every day in a week have you had those weeks i i don't know if i've gone maybe i've gone every day i can't remember i know i've got I, my usual is like four times a week pre-covid okay now with covid i've tried to limit it to like one to two times because now shopping with a face mask it's not as enjoyable and you get hot and yeah. uh so yeah if I could go there every day I would gladly do that but uh that's also not good on the on the account the bank account yes. too because it's kind of dangerous so I've almost got a target addiction where I gotta rein that in too no, I totally get that I have uh used excuses like oh, I gotta pick up a prescription today I've got to return something today, and then right. I end up there a couple times a week. So. Yes. Also, we have an interest in Rachel Hollis, and I have paid attention to some of your news reports on the Hollis clan and how they're doing during this time of divorce and separation and a new book coming out. Oh, it's a crazy time. It is. I mean, you think COVID would be one thing and the riots. And then, I mean, you never thought and Rachel and Dave Hollis get a divorce. And you're like, what is this world coming to? Yeah. You're like, I mean, I think that, I mean, that was so devastating for me and so shocking. I was looking after my kids and I, I was like, oh, my gosh. And I was like, I can't even, I need to talk to someone. I'm like, what is going on? Um, well, you were the one who broke the news uh, to me. Oh my gosh. It was just like, what? And man, I mean, months of therapy through that too. So I started that show because I wanted to talk to other people because I can't talk to my husband about it. He doesn't understand it. He knows my obsession with her, but he, he, I can't converse because he doesn't know about her and he's not a diehard fan like I am. So I started that show because they went silent on social and I wanted to connect with people who were obsessed with her like I was. And so I started it and it's really become this fun weekly thing that I do. And I, I watch their stories and I update people on what's going on because right now it's really evolving uh, and really getting kind of, kind of I don't know crazy up to what's going on with with their company so yeah it's it's really fun and I love connecting with other people who share that same interest you are like the true investigative reporter it, you know from you know what I've listened to you've pulled different sources together you just like you said following their social media or when they've gone silent you've picked it sounds like you've picked through documents and I wouldn't be surprised if you went to their house and picked through their garbage you haven't oh, done that gosh. Have you? I don't think I'm as crazy as that okay. but I will <laughs> would gladly do it if I lived in Texas uh But, but yeah, it's just, it's just for someone who's motivated me as a mom in recovery, excuse my dogs, um, as someone in recovery and someone who has a side household, especially, and trying to make it work as a full-time working mom, she motivated me every single day. Every single day I watched their start today morning show 
Can you hear my dogs in the background? Yeah, but that's okay. Okay, I can. I'm gonna shut the door. One second. Okay. Sorry about that. That's okay. As someone who watched their show every single day, I you know do the start today's journal. I do the priority planner. I've been to their conferences to have someone go silent. I mean, that was just like just heart wrenching because I I relied on her. I relied on them to motivate mm. me. So what I've learned from this is number one, you can never really know what someone's going through. Don't rely on others for motivation and find that motivation within yourself to, to get started, to get going and don't compare your relationship with someone else, which is what I personally did for a very long time as I, uh, compared my relationship with my husband to Dave and Rachel's. And I'm like, we got to go on weekly date nights. We got to do this and we need to laugh more and we need to, you know, do all this. And then I'm like, man, after they announced their divorce, I was like, I think we have it pretty good. I think we're doing pretty good. Yeah. Uh, so it solidified my, my confidence in my, in my relationship and uh, made me think about how I place people on a pedestal and, and being very careful of who I take advice from and what I choose to, and where I get those sources. Yeah. So, well, the one reason why I have continued, continued and have continuously <laughs> followed you is because you're so real. You take pictures when you've just finished a workout. You've taken crazy pictures with kids. And you've talked about some really real, vulnerable times in your life. And I have applauded you through all of that with the the information that you've shared. And I know it's coming from a place of wanting to help others. So can you kind of fill my listeners in on what I'm talking about? Yeah, I really like to, do you want to talk about my, my addiction or? Who's, who is Jen? Okay. Um, well, I, I always really like to, I'll start it off by, I always really like to keep things really real and authentic. I never like to put the highlight reel out there. Maybe you'll see pretty pictures on my Instagram but you'll also see me struggling and see, um, I, I don't like to be happy all the time or like smiling in pictures. I, I really want to air out the things that I've been through. So people know that they're not alone. I'm a full-time working, a little bit about me is I'm a full-time working mom of two little humans, <laughs> uh, ages four and six, a boy and a girl. And I'm from Minnesota, so I have that Minnesotan accent that I'm working on. Uh, I've been married for nine years, which is crazy to think about. And I have two stinky cuties uh, who are my dogs who are barking in the background because they, like I told you, they like to get their 15 minutes of fame. Of course. I'm a full-time graphic designer for a fitness company. I'm also a beach body coach and most recently a sober coach, which I'm really excited about. I am seven years sober, and uh, I was your classic closet, high-functioning alcoholic. Uh, No one knew about my drinking. I was really, really good at hiding it, and not even my husband knew about what I was doing. Wow. Uh, I was also raised in a perfectionist family, 
So I am also what we call a recovering perfectionist and learning that I don't have to be perfect and I don't have to look perfect, which is why you don't see me perfect on Instagram. I, I got made up for this call, but this is really the most made up you'll <laughs> see me. Um, and I earned my love by what I could produce. So I'm also an overachiever. Okay. I learned uh, to, to get good grades, to get awards, to earn my parents' love. And so I hope my goal is to encourage women, uh, encourage others to be proud of being alcohol free, uh, to motivate others, especially moms, to want to stop drinking. Not that you have to, but that you want to, that it's not this dreaded thing that surrounds the stigma. Uh, and the more anonymous we are, the more that no one talks about it, the more we contribute to that stigma. So I really want to encourage people to own it, to share it, because it's part of who you are. And there is nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with being addicted to an addictive drug. Um, and hopefully by me telling my story and all these things that I've done um, by sharing these ugly truths of what I've been through to where I am today, I hope you'll know that you're not alone in this, that it can happen to anyone because it happened to me. And that you can pivot at any time. Uh, and hopefully you can reach that point faster and can make that decision faster than I did. You put out a post a bit ago that was kind of your timeline of through your addiction. And one of the things that you mentioned, and it just, it, I mean, it's obviously stayed with me because this has been a, a bit is you would go to the store and buy mouthwash. Sorry. <laughs> but, it, and it, it it didn't, like it wasn't something that I would think about as being able to feed the addiction, but also cover up the addiction. That no one looked at you weird if you had mouthwash you know, that you were buying it or you had it in your car. They just thought you were really good at oral hygiene. It really... Right? Maybe I was a dentist. <laughs> yeah. Hygienist. And I was just like, wow, there are things that are in our everyday environment that could hide addiction. Mm-hmm. And I think that speaks to the amount of shame that I felt Shame and addiction are hand in hand. Yeah. Um, the amount of shame someone goes through for what we're doing to ourselves is, is so, so high. And I felt, I think I got the, the idea from someone maybe in a treatment center. I can't remember where I got that idea that, yeah, you can get drunk on mouthwash. And I was like, what? Like, who would do that? And then I got that idea because I was going to the liquor store so many times where I would rotate the liquor stores I went to so they wouldn't recognize me. I would put a hat on my face. I would wear sunglasses or my, my glasses so you could hide my puffy eyes. And then I got the idea, well, if I can buy mouthwash, then no one would know. And I don't have to feel ashamed about that. And I don't have to hide and I don't have to feel embarrassed or who was going to see me walking into a liquor store again, or I could buy that at 9am in the morning. And the scary thing is, is you can get drunk off it. And I, that was my drink of choice. And for a good year, 
And little did I know at the time and little probably did I care of what I was doing to my body of how lethal it is and the damage I was doing to myself. Uh, to this day, I cannot smell mouthwash without like, I, even the thought of it just makes me want to throw up. Uh, even the alcohol free kinds, I'm like, I try, I just, it brings back so many bad memories yeah. of me drinking that and hiding it and hiding mouthwash bottles that I just can't even do it anymore. But that's what we go through. And that's the links that we'll go through to, to feed that need, that craving that we experience. And I, and mouthwash wasn't even it. I went into, I tried rubbing alcohol once, um, which is also lethal. Right. My husband almost took me to the hospital. Um, I, I think I've tried hands. I don't know. There's a bunch of different things mm -hmm. that we will do. And ha that's another indication of how addictive and how dangerous this is. When you are willing to ingest something that was not meant to be ingested really shows the length that you're willing to or feel you need to go. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And yeah. And that's what we, that's how powerful addiction is, is you don't care what you do to your body or who you affect. You just need to feel good for the next 10 to 15 minutes and you will do anything or I don't know if someone else, but I would do anything to get out of the pain and shame that I was going through. And that included finding anything in my house that had alcohol, yeah, including rubbing alcohol, which is, <laughs> but, um, so that's how scary it is. Yeah. But another thing of what I wanted to do because I felt so much shame for walking into a liquor store, but I could walk into target and buy two bottles of mouthwash and no one would think anything of it. Yeah. Which it, it's really interesting to me. And I, I kind of wanted to, to make this point and you and I talked about it. You don't fit that stereotypical look of someone who's struggling with an addiction or struggling with alcoholism. Um, you, you look like the girl next door, you know, when I see you on Instagram, you're kind of like my girlfriend. You know, we, we like similar things. We're both moms with kids around the same age. Uh, you just don't fit that stereotypical, you know, thought of someone who's gone through that addiction. Has that helped you, hurt you, enabled you? I think it uh, enabled my addiction for many years. That I like to post on social my before and afters because you don't see what I was going through. I was, like I said, I was really, really good at hiding it. I put on makeup. I would hide my, hide my puffy eyes. So you couldn't see what I was going through on the inside. And that's why I want to bring it a point today is we never really know what someone is going through. And a lot of times... It's women, primarily a lot of times women and moms who are hiding the fact that they're abusing alcohol in silence and they're covering it up and trying to do all these things. But really, many of them are drinking in the morning and we can't see what's really going on. 
So I really like to say looks are deceiving. I don't have pictures of me passed out under a bridge with a brown paper bag, even though my addiction was leading me there. And I justified my drinking for many years because I was telling myself, I don't look like this person. I don't look like the stereotypical alcoholic bum under a bridge with a paper bag. I was like, I'm, I still have my job. Like I said, I was a high functioning closet alcoholic. Many perfectionists are, we try to do things perfect. And the key here and the point here is I couldn't do this and I didn't understand why. I could do that and I could do this, but I could not stop drinking. And I didn't know what was wrong with me. I'm like, what is wrong with me? But instead of asking what is wrong with you, ask what is wrong with it's an addictive substance. That is what happened. I got addicted to an addictive drug because I had a job. I had two jobs. In fact, I'm a classic also workaholic. (laughs) I got up, I went through the motions, I went to work. But again, what people didn't see was that I drank in secret. I drank more than people thought. And I drank to pass out because I was overwhelmed with anxiety Mm -hmm. and I couldn't sleep. So I started to drink to help that. And that drinking gradually escalated to where I eventually needed alcohol to even function daily to even because my shakes were so bad to even just make the shakes go away. That's how progressive this is. And if, if you want me to talk about how I started drinking, I can sure. do that. Okay. Um, well, it, it all started back. No, um, <laughs> I would like to say in high school, I had my first drink at 15 in high school. I was a normal drinker. I'm not someone who right off when I had a drink, I was right into addiction. It took me many, many years to, for this to progress. Um, so I did normal drinking in high school and in college, once I got to college, I can pinpoint exactly to where my addiction started after going through my alcohol history and treatment. I was like, that is the exact moment that it started. And it was when my second boyfriend wanted to go on a break. It was in the summer. I was 21. I was living with some guys and I came back and I was devastated because my mind thought went back to my first boyfriend, my first love. We were planning to get married, all these things. We broke up. And it was my first breakup, and it was heart-wrenching. I couldn't even function. I couldn't get out of bed. So I thought back to that point, and I thought, I don't want to feel this. I don't want to go through this. So I talked to them, and they were some guys that had a prescription for Adderall. Okay. I didn't do drugs. I had tried weed a couple times. I was just someone who drank normal college drinking never abused it. And they said, Hey, take this. They're like, you are going to feel like God. Uh, and I'm like, Oh, I don't know. I, oh, I've never done drugs. But at that point I was so desperate to get out of that feeling that I was willing to do anything. So I took it. I took actually three in fact, because they were like, you got to take three. I'm like, okay. And I was up all night, which I, okay. I, you're you're not a big woman (laughs) so i wouldn't think like throw more at you because you're going to need it and you didn't have a tolerance already so guys stop prescribing drugs oh my god i was like (laughs) 
I feel amazing. This breakup is the best thing ever. I'm going to dye my hair. I'm going to make all these goals. And I was up all night, like making goals. I went to work and then the Adderall wore off and I'm like, oh, I feel like shit. It's like crap. Uh, so then that ignited myself or that got the idea and planted a seed within myself that, okay, I can take away my feelings and I can control my feelings by using and drinking alcohol. So I started to do that. And when things didn't, when I felt pain or whatever, or anxiety, I would drink. And it didn't really escalate until I went to New York City in 2000 or uh, 2008. I went out there, I was dating my now husband. And we had been dating for a few months, I moved out there to pursue my career in graphic design, I wanted to be an art director for a magazine. I'm like, if I don't do it now, I'm never going to do it, I need to pursue my dream. And I went out there and I was drinking nightly because I was lonely. And uh, I wanted to just, again, take away this feeling I was feeling. And it gradually escalated. And I'm like, okay, this is actually the key point. I wanted to lose weight while I was out there to make it seem to other people like I was doing great when, in fact, I was really really lonely and really struggling out there by myself. Okay. So I started taking sleeping pills and that worked because I wasn't drinking anymore. I was taking sleeping pills to fall asleep, to really just shut my mind off because I wasn't sleeping. It was really hard to fall asleep. And I moved back uh, to Minnesota. I had lost a ton of weight because I wasn't drinking anymore. I was over exercising I was cross addicting into exercising, which is a real thing and a really common thing for people in recovery to do is to cross addict into something else. And a lot of times that's exercise. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So it's crazy because what ignited my addiction was pain or heartbreak, which was pain. And then it turned into anxiety. So once I got back, the sleeping pills stopped working. And I started getting this anxiety and I started not sleeping again. So I went back to drinking and it was this endless cycle and of working a lot. I was working 24 seven to prove my worth. I was working out for like four hours a day. I was drinking at night to fall asleep and dealing with the anxiety that I felt the next day, working off the hangover in the morning. But I was trying to be the whole time I, I felt like I was trying to be someone else. I was trying, it was like I was a chameleon trying to figure out who people wanted to, me to be. Like there was something always wrong with me. I needed to be a size two. I needed to do this. I needed to do that. Um, and that gradually escalated uh, to the period between 2010 and 2011, the year uh, between when I got engaged to when I got married is when my drinking really, really escalated. I, like I said, I was working 24 seven. I worked for a full-time job. I had a full-time freelance job and I was getting ready for our wedding all by myself. And I'm someone who doesn't like to ask for help. I like to prove to people that I can handle what's given to me. And so I would, I drank. Which recently you shared a before and after picture. And I think the before was either an engagement picture or a wedding picture. Mm -hmm. And I looked at, like, I was trying to kind of look and see where the problems were. And the before picture, you just, you had a glow. 
uh, you looked put together. I, I mean, I was just like, I can't, I can't see the crack. I can't see the problem. I can't see the flaw in any of that. But that just is a testament to how well you could hide it. And at that point, I didn't know what was going on. I knew that when I saw a bottle of alcohol or liquor, I automatically drank from it and swigged it. I automatically used, I went to alcohol to cope with social anxiety. I was really nervous before those engagement photos. And this was at 8 a.m. in the morning, right? And I know my parents always had a stock full liquor cabinet and they never they don't drink. And that's another thing. I didn't grow up in an alcoholic family or with parents who drank. My grandfather was an alcoholic who got sober, but my mom has lived for, with a alcoholic father for most of her life. So she's been through it with her dad, but my parents, you know, maybe they have one beer, two, if they want to get crazy, but they didn't really (laughs) drink around us. And so I can't say I came up around that, but they always had this stacked liquor cabinet. And um, I was always just swig some liquor when I, we'd have family gatherings because I'd feel so nervous because I'm shy. And I have, like I said, I have social anxiety. Yeah, so I, I chugged some whiskey before that engagement session. And of course, I, I was smiling. I wasn't drunk, but I had a good buzz going on. And um, just to kind of take the nerves off. And I don't even know. It's just, it was just an automatic response. So yeah, in between that period of 2010 to 2011 to when my wedding happened, it was, it was my, it got to the point where I couldn't go a day without drinking. I would make a pact with myself. I'm like, okay, I'm not going to drink today. And I'd be walking the dogs. I'm like, I'm not going to drink today. And I, and I would, because it was just, it had developed into a habit by then. Yeah. So it's hard for me to look back. And a lot of times I post befores of my wedding day because it's really hard for me to look back on that day because I, I wasn't mentally there. I was on Adderall the week before the wedding. I, cause I didn't know how I was going to get anything done. I had so much to do. I had, I wanted to drop weight to look great for the, in my dress. And so I took Adderall and I was drinking and that day I took Adderall and I was drinking during the wedding. And I kept telling myself, just get through today just get through today. And which is not something you want to say on your wedding day. It's supposed to be the happiest, one of the happiest days of your life. But really uh, the day or two after my wedding, uh, I collapsed. And my, like I said, my husband did not know any of this. He didn't, because he would like go out and have fun. And I would sit there working on our wedding stuff. I didn't want his help because to me, guys can't do it right. I'm a perfectionist. I'm like, put on the stamp. (laughs) straight like put on the wedding stamp straight is not straight um so I just did it myself um so I collapsed into a full alcoholic state I I was in bed I was expected to go back to work a couple days after my wedding and I just couldn't do it I was like and so I started drinking around the clock and my husband was like what did I marry he was like what is going on here and Um, for a good year and a half, I went to, it was a period of actively trying to get sober and relapsing a good year and a half. I, for a couple months, I didn't know what was going on. I started with outpatient. I did, I got my second DWI. 
I did two inpatient stays. I, uh, it got to the point where I really felt myself dying. I had been kicked out of my house numerous times, kicked out of our town home from Whalen because he had set boundaries saying, if you're drinking, you can't stay here or I'm not going to stay here. I can't watch you do this to yourself. And, um, staying at my parents' place. And I remember staying there and I was shaking so bad from the Adderall and I was still continuing to take Adderall once in a while and drinking where I was shaking so bad. My hands went numb and I felt I was going to go into a cardiac arrest. And so I remember Googling on my childhood bed, cardiac arrest, what's the symptoms? Cause I think I'm going to have a heart attack because that's enormous pressure to put on your heart, like taking an upper and a downer at the same time and and all the abuse I was doing to it. And it said, drink some milk. So I did. Luckily I didn't have one, but that was a wake up call at that point. You know, like I said to you, I was drinking mouthwash and rubbing alcohol at the very end. Mouthwash was my drink of choice um, to take away from the shame uh, I was experiencing really anything to get my hands on. I could get my hands on until April 23rd, uh, 2013. Like I said, I had gotten my second DWI on Valentine's day of that year. Um, and I was my rock bottom. I was staying with my parents. I had to go to the office with my dad because they needed to keep an eye on me because they couldn't trust me. And I blacked out apparently at his office from mouthwash. Um, and they took me to detox. This was my second detox day. I blew a 0.34, which is, you know, when I talk to other alcoholics, I'm like, oh, you blew higher, you know, I'm like, but the scary thing is that that freaked me out because I was drinking like that for a good year and a half. And who knows how much alcohol I was consuming because they caught me at noon and took me to detox that was at noon. Um, so that really, really scared me. And like I said, I felt myself dying. And at that point in detox, I was just sick and tired. I had a court date the next day for my DWI and I was just sick and tired of being sick and tired. I made the decision there because even when I went to treatment and inpatient, I went to Hazelden. I, I really wanted to be sober but I just wasn't ready. I had already planned. I was like, I just want to drink one more time. And I knew in my heart that I wasn't ready. And I always tell people this. I'm like, if you want to get sober, you have to have these two things. You have to really want it and you have to be ready. Some people really want it, but they're just not ready. And they still have some drinking left in them to prove to themselves that they can't do this. So at that point in detox, I was ready. I didn't want to drink alcohol anymore. I knew that if I continue drinking, I'm going to literally die soon. And I didn't want to die. I, I had lost so many things by that point. I, cause up to this point, I was like, you know what? I haven't lost my job. I haven't lost this. And then I lost it. I lost my job from my drinking. I lost my car from my DWI. I was kicked out of my house. I was on the verge of losing my husband. He said, if you drink one more time, we are getting a divorce. And, and so it did happen to me. And I had so many things ahead of me, a a really long road of things that I had to clean up. 
But I knew that the only thing that would make this worse is if I drank. Because my goal before that was like, I'm just going to drink until I die. I, that's the, what addiction can do. And that's what it can do to your mindset as an overachiever perfectionist to, so, to wanting to die because you feel so low and alcohol robs you of your self-esteem. Um, but I just said, you know what, I don't know what's going to happen, but the only, the only thing that I need to do is not drink. And I, so I gave it up. I gave up everything. I surrendered and I did what I had to do. I just did the next right thing. And I, I had a lot of stuff to clean up. Mm -hmm. I had, or I can get into that in a sec, but. Well, I, you're making me kind of think about coping skills. Mm-hmm. And so you, you know, you explained how you used the alcohol and the Adderall as a coping skill to the different pains that you were feeling or not being a perfectionist or just getting through the day. Well, if I don't have alcohol and I didn't have any other coping skills, how do I cope from not having alcohol? Mm-hmm. There, there's nothing left in your bag of tricks Mm-hmm. Until I, and this is just someone who hasn't, yeah, hasn't gone through an addiction. You have to surrender to mm-hmm. what you're being told and have faith that what they're telling you will get you through. So we'll create those coping skills to get through it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's 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 tough. It is, and I had to learn. I didn't have to learn. A couple things I like to say to people, the only thing that you need to change when you get sober is everything. Like, and that freaked me out. They told me that in treatment. I was like, what? I don't want to change my friends. I don't want to do this, but you really do. And honestly, it just naturally happens. Um, So yeah, I gave up, I just surrendered and I gave everything up and I just said, I'm going to do what I need to do to take care of the destruction that I caused and I didn't know if Waylon and I were going to make it. I didn't know if we could come out of this. A lot of relationships don't. But today I can look back and be like, you know what? Because we went through this, especially in our first year of marriage, wow. we can get through anything. I'm like, man. Um, and I feel, I still feel bad. Like, cause he married it into this and he's like two days after the wedding. He's like, what, what is going on here? We just got married. Um, but I, I did. I showed up and I did what I had to do. And the, there was two things that really helped me before I entered. After I got out of detox, I entered my last inpatient stay. Um, one, it was court order, but two, I, I needed it again. It was my third inpatient stay. And there was two things that I did was I got honest with Waylon. I, he had not known about my Adderall use. I thought that he was going to divorce me right off the gate. I thought he was going to throw things and run out the door and being like, we are through. I can't believe you did this to me. And I just said, I know I can't get sober unless he knows this about me. And I have to, I have to just say it. So I took him to the bedroom and I said, there's something I have to tell you. And I told him and he's like, okay. He's like, are you done? I'm like, yeah. (laughs) And he's like, all right. And I'm like, what? So it's crazy what you can think in your head to what actually happens. By just getting honest, 
uh, and just airing out those secrets, like you hear it all the time, secrets make you sick and they totally do, especially in addiction, like airing that out, God. And then from that moment on, I knew I could move forward and I could do this because Adderall was really holding me back. And the second thing was before I went to my last inpatient stay, it was, I chose a different place. I went to the retreat in Wyzetta, highly recommend it to anybody looking for an inpatient stay. Don't be afraid of inpatient stay. I was for many, many months until it was the best, best experience I've ever had. Um, and we took a drive through, in that point, we were still like, it was still uncomfortable. It was a couple days after my detox day. And we just took a drive through a new neighborhood, developing neighborhood in Carver. And we looked at all these amazing houses and we were just silent. And at that point, we were living in a townhome and we had always envisioned, you know, a house, but my addiction and my alcoholism kind of stunted that for a while. And I... I looked at that and I saw and I visualized the, of what our life could be. And that's the power of visualization. I saw the houses and I was like, God, that, that will be us. And one thing that really, really, I felt so sad about in treatment for a long time was that I really, really wanted to become a mother. Um, you know, we had just gotten married and that's normally what you do. You get married, you have kids. Yeah. And I wanted so badly to get pregnant. But we didn't want to bring a child into this when I was going through this, this addiction and this disease that I was going through. So any, every time I drank, I was prolonging that chance of me becoming a mom. And after years of abuse, I didn't even think I could get pregnant. I was with the mouthwash, with the rubbing alcohol. I had, was 100% certain that I was going to be infertile. But we saw that and I saw the house and I saw two kids, you know, a boy and a girl, and I just saw our life. And then that motivated me every single day that like, you know, one day we're going to have that. Like, I don't even know if we can't get kids, we'll adopt, we'll do whatever. Maybe we'll just call our stinky cuties, the kids. <laughs> um, and I just, that motivated me. And what's crazy to think is that now today I'm, I'm lit, I'm living it. Uh, it's crazy what can happen when you get sober. Like I have two amazing kids, a boy and a girl. We live in Victoria in a beautiful neighborhood. You know, within four months of getting sober, I was pregnant. And Waylon knew it too. Like there was a lot of trust I had to earn back from him. But I just kept doing and showing up and doing the next right thing, going to meetings, going to court, even doing my day in jail, pregnant. Um, but in four months, I was pregnant. Within four months, I got a great, great job. And when within seven months, I was promoted. And all I was doing, you guys, I just wasn't drinking. I was just eliminating that one thing for my life. And I got all these amazing things because of it. So, so yeah, I, and like I said, I had a lot of stuff to clean up after. I went into inpatient stay. I had numerous court dates for my DWI. I got my car taken away. I had an intox uh, breathalyzer installed in my new car uh, for two years with a newborn. If you want to be humble, that is very humbling with whiskey plates. Um, I paid my lawyers on house arrest for two weeks. I got a simple job right off the gate before I got my job job at a printing company. I rode my bike to get to places because I didn't have a car for a while. 
I went to my AA meetings um, and I just, I got my parole officer. Like I said, I did a day in jail, four months pregnant, like another humbling experience, but I just showed up and I, I just did everything one thing at a time. Yeah. I've gotten a lot of messages from women saying like, Oh, I just got my DWI. I have so much, you know, I'm thinking about, I'm like, you know, I don't think about that. Just what's the next right move that you can make. Right. If you think that. about everything, you're going to freak yourself out. Like, just don't drink. That's number one. Like, if you can do anything today, just don't drink. And then what's the next right move you can make? Is that going to a meeting? Is that, you know, going in on an online meeting or meeting some sober friends or making a mocktail? Like, just what's the next right move you can make? I love that. Sorry, I kind of went on a tangent there. (laughs) No, I was enthralled with the story and everything that you went through. And again, being real. Like, that's that's what I I love about you. Um, You just come from a place of wanting to help and to use your story to help. So I appreciate it. Um, You know, I'm not a person who has, has dealt with addiction, but I love... I guess feeling educated by you of what what's really going on because I'm not gonna leave this life without having some type of interaction with addiction. Um, so uh-huh. I just you know want to educate myself as best as possible as a counselor. Yes, I, I deal with students who are on possibly on their way to addiction and uh, uh-huh. learning more and, and understanding like mouthwash. If I'm finding mouthwash on a student, let's let's have my radar up and go, hmm, I need to ask some questions. So thank you for just putting it out there for everyone mm-hmm. so that we can learn and help each other out. Yeah, and it was just this thing that I turned to in the beginning as a habit. I mean, it was a thing I did once. But then because it made me feel good and it took the pain away, then it continued to do it. And that's how it's just we're really just switching out the bad habit for a good one, like and making a list of what are some good coping mechanisms and what is it that you're trying to numb and not feel? Is it anxiety? Is it stress? I think we're all dealing with anxiety and stress because we're going through a global pandemic. Um, is it depression? Are you really sad? Are you lonely? Was it heartbreak? Like, what is it that you're trying to do? And then finding something that can help you move through that in a a healthy way. Which I, I love you bring up the pandemic during this time, you really stepped up in your social media and talked about you can do this. You don't have to turn to alcohol. You put information out there, phone numbers out there. You also started your Friday mocktails. Uh So you're giving alternatives to dealing with the stress in a negative way. Uh And I I love that because it, it was just really stepping up and saying, I know what's going on out there and I can either be silent and let the problem happen or I'm going to be helpful and use my voice to show people there's a different way. And uh-huh. even even for me, you've made me think, I don't need to, at the end of a stressful night, grab a glass of wine. 
I, I don't need to do that. That shouldn't be my coping skill. Mm-hmm. So, you know, thank you for that, because that's a message for all of us to know. And then there are certain people that it's just a special message for, a really to the heart kind of message. So thank you. Yeah. And that was one thing that came out of this pandemic was, you know, before this, I was a Beachbody coach. I still am. Yeah. And I had this ever since I went to Rise in Minneapolis. I've I've had this instinct in myself once I started beach body coaching and I, I give everything to that because it got me to come out of hiding about my alcoholism. Before that, I did not talk about my addiction okay. or my journey for four years in recovery. I was a like a dry drunk almost. And it's not something I talked about because I was still ashamed about it. I was, I thought that we were supposed to remain anonymous, that no one should know. Okay. And I didn't think people wanted to hear my story until I started beach body coaching, which is bananas. I never thought I would become a beach body coach, but I love fitness, um, which I'll get into in a second. And part of your job as a coach is to share your story. And I told my husband within a couple of days, I'm like, I think I really need to share about my alcoholism because that's a main thing about who I am and what I've been through. And I felt ready to do it. Because before I would do posts on like my sober anniversary and I'd, I'd hide people from seeing that post like employers because I didn't want them to know that about me because I didn't want people to think differently about me. Right. Like it's something to be ashamed of, which I hope to encourage others to think about that it is not something to be ashamed of at all. Um, and so I did a coming out post. I like to say there's a coming out post. Excuse my dog in the background who's scratching <laughs> at the door. Uh and I, it took me like four minutes to write. I feel like I had had so many years of pent up words that I wanted to shout. And I wrote it and I posted it and I went to a, a meeting and I like threw my phone. I'm like, I'm not going to look. Oh my God. I didn't like block people from seeing it. And I came back and there were so many words of encouragement and congratulations. I'm like, oh God, that feels so good. I don't have to hide anymore. I don't have to lie about who I am. And I, it was like, people now know me yeah. and I don't have to feel ashamed about it. Yes, I am Jen. And yes, I am alcohol free. And I struggled very hard with this in silence because I didn't think we could talk about it. And um, the more I did, the better I felt. And I got into beach body coaching and there was something that shifted in me. And they said, pay attention to what your audience is responding to. Okay. I said, all my posts about my alcoholism, perform really well. And people, I get a lot of messages about that. I was like, I think I wanted to pursue beach body coaching, but I was like, I think what people really need to hear is about sobriety and how I got sober. So the rise got me to think maybe I should be encourage people to get sober, be a sober coach. And, um, and I wrestled with this for about a year until the pandemic started. And I, it really became clear that to, for me, I, people losing weight and all that is so great. And, but people really need right now how to stay sober through this and that you don't need a liquid drug to get through this, that you can thrive during this pandemic. Yeah. You don't need to numb yourself through it. Um, so that's why I'm doing what I'm doing. And it, it really became clear because a lot of people are struggling, but also a lot of people are thriving and getting sober and using this time to get sober. 
So, uh, so I hope to encourage others to do that and turn to healthy coping mechanisms to handle stress that drinking is not going to help your anxiety. In fact, it's only going to make it worse, like much, much worse. It's like pouring gasoline on it. It's like you have anxiety, pour some drinking (laughs) and alcohol in it. It's going to be like, and now you've got even more problems. Right. So I just hope to open the conversation and open the discussion of, um, of, of what we're doing and hope to encourage others to rethink turning to that nightly glass of wine to take the edge off. Um, is there something else that you can do? And yeah, I, I did start doing mocktail recipes because I'm like, there's so many amazing recipes and so many good mocktails that you can make out there. And what's cool is that they're be they're creating more and more uh, companies to make non-alcoholic um, spirits and wines and NA beer. I tried an NA beer last month and I was like, I don't like the taste of beer. So why would I drink it? Right. Like, so, um, <laughs> so yeah, it's really cool to see. Um, and that you can have so much fun in, in sobriety. It doesn't have, it's not this dreaded thing because I think What's so cool, and I posted about it this morning, is like you get to take back your mornings. You are so much more productive, uh, and you get to be present. Um, if there's anything that I'm more proud about is being present with my children and that they always get me. They always get me. They, they can drink. Another benefit is they can drink from my glass, and I don't have to like be worried about it. Um, or they can try what I'm drinking. I'm like, sure, try it, right? Um, so that's another bonus. Yeah. So you have given us so many different nuggets of tips and helps, help and strategies throughout this episode. But I'm wondering if you have like your list or your number one that you really want people to know. Yeah, you know me, I have, I have a list of like 10 <laughs> things, right? Okay. But I was trying to think of things that I would tell and what I tell women who are struggling and people who are struggling is number one, be graceful with yourself. Um, if you slip up, if you relapse after a period of sobriety, just know it happens. The worst thing that you can do is beat yourself up. No journey is perfect in this. Like I said, it took me an active year and a half to get sober. Um, but ask yourself, you know, what can you learn from it? Uh, it's just another point on your path. What can you learn from that relapse? So forget the mistake, but remember the lesson that you can take away right. from it. Very good. Um, number two is ex- accept what you can't change. It's part of the serenity prayer. Um, I repeat this to myself every single day, and it can apply to anybody in this pandemic, especially. Accept what we can't change. We can't change you know, other people, other people's opinions, the weather, like things like that. But what can you change? Um, It really got me to give up the outcome and trying to control everything. So I can't take back the past. I can't take back yesterday or what I did in my drinking days. But what I can do is show up today. And what can I do today? And what is the impact I can make today? And what's the next right move I can make today, right? So focus on what you can control and accept what you can't change. So there's no use in worrying about what we did yesterday or a month or two from from where we are. 
um, focus on what you can do today, right? It's just, it's just a waste. Right. Not, not a waste, but it can save you a lot of worry. Yes. Um, number three is become a student. I, I am someone who loves personal development, as I'm sure you do. Yeah. Obviously, Rachel Hollis. But number one, learn how others have done it. Read sober books, others who have walked the path before you, and take what you can from their advice. So this is books, podcasts, YouTube. Audible is great for listening to books. My number one book on recovery is The Unexpected Joy of Being Sober. Okay. It has so many tools and resources for you. I wish that book existed when I was looking at getting sober. Number two is The Snaked Mind. It will... Um, it's such a good book on, uh, alcohol, viewing alcohol as a drug that really changed my perception last year of looking at alcohol for what it is, which is an addictive drug. Right. And I never looked at it that way. I was always like, what is wrong with me that I'm addicted? Um, and number three is sober curious. So maybe you're just curious about getting sober. Uh, that has another some really great tools in it as well. Number four is really huge is move your body. Like if you're looking for a good coping mechanism, the number one thing you can do to help with the craving to get out of your mindset, maybe if you're feeling sad, feeling anxious, you're feeling overwhelmed, move your body. Um, even just 10 minutes can get rid of an alcohol craving. Um, because when you move your body, you change your mind. It's yeah. obviously what I get from Rachel Hollis. She's even coming out with a shirt or a tank top for it. Okay. Um, but it's the best thing that you can do re- for your recovery. Um, because if you can show up and you can do a hard workout, maybe that looks like going for a 30 minute walk or doing yoga or um, a beach body workout, whatever. Because if you can show up and do a hard workout, for one, you're going to get an endorphin rush. Right. Um, it's free dopamine. Like, you're just like, woo, that's why you got to be careful with it. But if you can show up and do a hard workout in the morning, especially, then what else can you do that's hard? Be like, you know what? I did that so I can do this. Right. And really, it can change your mindset. 30 minutes. I mean, if you can, 30 minutes is great. Um, And I, like I said, what it comes down to is you have to really want it and you have to be ready. You need those two things hand in hand stock up on mocktails. So <laughs> replace that, that alcohol with non-alcoholic drinks. It's the easiest thing you can do. So whether that's soda, I know soda's not great for us, but that's what I did for early recovery. Right. Sparkling water. There's Welch's sparkling juice. There's so many mocktails. Check out my page for some mocktail recipes. My jam, especially since my family was away is Shirley Temple's. So easy. You just need grenadine and Sprite. So easy and so freaking good. That is exactly what you can order at a restaurant when we can go back to restaurants. Yeah. So good. That's what I order. Um, Focus on not what you're going to lose, like when you give up drinking, but really what are you going to gain from giving up alcohol? You're going to get better friendships. You're going to be present. You're going to be your whole self 100% of the time. You're going to have more time. You're going to be healthier, more fit probably. You're going to prolong your life. You're going to get boosted self-esteem. And you're also going to boost your immune system. If there's no better time to take care of your body, it is right now. And drinking alcohol will so weaken your immune system. So think about that. 
play the tape forward. Sorry, this is a lot of tips, but I just, <laughs> I really want to help people um, and give some, some really tactile advice of how to get through this hard season. So when you're thinking about that, that alcohol or that you have a craving, like play the tape forward. That always helps me. It's what I do. No one can see it. It happens like that. But I always play the tape forward of what's going to happen if I choose to take a sip. I'm going to lose my kids. I'm going to lose my husband. I'm going to lose my job. I'm going to lose everything because it happened to me. And so no one can see it, but that's exactly what goes through my mind when I see alcohol. Um, Get in community. So find other people. If you're a woman, find other women who understand what you're going through. There's many sober groups on Facebook. I have a group, Zero Proof Moms, that you can join. You can also attend online meetings. There's a million out there. You can just Google it. But find other people who get what you're going through. That is key. That's how you get sober, and that is how you stay sober. So you you can find that commonality in what you're going through. And know that the only way to get through this, the hard parts, is to go through it. Like, you got to go through it. Right. And that's how we're going through COVID. Like we're going through it and we're living that. Um, Know that it will get better. I promise you, if you're in early recovery and you're feeling down, um, you're feeling uncomfortable, maybe you're not sleeping. It will get better. I promise you, you have to know that it will get better. Um, And those first few days, those first few weeks are like really the hardest and I mean, add on top of it, like you're going through a global pandemic. So it's like, <laughs> holy, you know, wow. But yes. you just don't drink, right? Um, and it's nothing to be ashamed of. Like uh, not being able to drink an addictive drug is not abnormal. It's actually the norm. Um, it's highly addictive. And it's just no one is talking about it until now. And more and more people, as you'll see, you can follow sober accounts on social. There's a lot of people on Instagram that you can follow and get motivation um, from. I would definitely recommend that to start getting in community there. And just know that and remember that no matter how hard life gets, no matter what COVID brings at us, no matter what happens, that you don't have to drink over it. Such great information. So much there. I totally agree with everything that you said. So I'm glad you're putting it out there. You mentioned places to find you and some things that you're doing. So can you let my listeners know where they can get some of your information or your motivation? Yes. Well, you can follow me on Instagram. It's at Jen Lee Hurst. And my website is coming out soon. That's is actually what I'm working on now. <laughs> As my kids are away, my husband's away. I have like I gotta work on this. Um, it's called livingzeroproof.com. It is not published yet, but I will let you know as soon as it's published. Perfect. I'm trying to get it launched. I am launching a group coaching sober course end of September, early October that I'm working very hard at, where I'm compiling all, all this information. I And I don't want to just talk about addiction. I want to give you tactile tools that you will need to get through your first 30 days sober and alcohol free. Wow. Um, so be on the lookout for that yeah. six week course. And I, you can also join if you're a woman, you don't have to be a mom, you can join my zero proof moms group on Facebook to get in community. And we can connect you and share what you're going through. Because really, that's that's really what, what we need. Because the opposite of addiction is connection. 
is connecting with other people who get you. Oh, great. So I will have all of that information. And please let me know when your website is up, when you've got your course up. I'll let my listeners know that too. So that is great. Well, I'm so excited about it. Uh, I think when you find what you really love and what you're really passionate about, I could just do this for hours. I'm just getting lost in it. It, it seems like I'm writing out beautiful, it's like a beautiful mind. We're back. Oh, okay. I was like, what happened? I lost you, but that's okay. Okay. Thank you very much, Jen, for everything that you've shared today and just being so open and so real with everyone. I know that you speaking out about this is doing a tremendous amount of good. So thank you very much for everything. Thank you so much for having me. I really, I really, really appreciate it. And I'm going to go ahead and sign out for our listeners and I will see you next time. Thank you for listening to Finding Myself. If you like what you heard, please leave a review. If you have a question or a suggestion, feel free to email me at findingmyselfpodcast at gmail.com. I also invite you to be part of our Finding Myself community on Facebook. There you will have access to more resources, more suggestions, more information, and the opportunity to be part of discussions. Please meet us back here next time. 